Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turn MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC back in Vegas this weekend for UFC Vegas 33. Sean Strickland versus Uriah Hall. We, of course, will be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on the main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you a parlay and an underdog that we think will make your wallet fat this upcoming weekend. In addition to that, as always, I'm bringing you guys the interviews you've come to know and love. First, kicking off the show today, I'm talking to Brian Bam Bam Barbarena about his recent injury and surgery that pulled him out of his last fight. And this stuff is absolutely insane. You need to listen to this interview because he tells the whole thing and it is absolutely bonkers. Later on in the show, I'm going to be talking to Contender Series alumni graduating to the UFC for the first time this upcoming weekend, Colin Anglin, talking about his fight with Melsic Bogdasarian. But before we get to any of that, I got to remind you guys that this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas, and from there, browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests in every sport imaginable. In fact, in addition to baseball, football, basketball, or whatever you're into, you can get Picks from me. That's right. Gumby Vreeland giving you free picks over on betterthan.vegas, and you can't hear them anywhere else. So make sure you head on over there and follow the Top Turtle MMA page. Top Turtle MMA is brought to you by Better Than Vegas, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Brian Barbarena, who fights Jason Witt at UFC in the Apex on July 31st. So, Brian, I want to start with talking about your recovery path here, because, uh, you know, you've been out of out of the fight game right now for almost eight months. And, and you know, I, I'm going to go ahead and read what the, the article officially said. It was an emergency exploratory laparotomy due to internal bleeding from a couple of ruptured arteries in your omentum. So for for the layman, do you mind explaining people exactly uh, what it was and, and sort of how you felt something going wrong? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I was getting ready for the Daniel Rodriguez fight to fight him. And uh, the Friday before fight week, I was doing finishing up my camp, about to close it all down and get ready to head over uh, for fight week. And was uh, doing my sparring rounds. And in the first round, I took a, a body kick from one of my training partners. And it wasn't overly hard or anything and didn't stop me or put me down, nothing. I continued my round, pushed forward, did great, finished off my other two rounds and, you know, felt awesome. Everybody said I looked great, so it was going well. And then I uh, just hung out for a while. And since I train in North Carolina, I drive back to Tennessee uh, every Friday and go back home and spend the time with my family. So uh, I got on the road and was kind of having, like my stomach was kind of a little bit and oh. that body kick was stiffer than, you know, I thought. And, uh, you know, I thought maybe, well, then maybe I'm just hungry. You know, I didn't really have a, a, a great breakfast this morning. So I'm going to get some food, and you know, ate and whatever was on the road and that wasn't really helping. And then the 
you know, the pain would kind of come and go. And, uh, you know, I was about two hours into my drive of a four and a half hour drive. And, uh, I was on the phone, with my wife and I'm driving on the highway and all of a sudden, like I'm telling her like how my stomach's been hurting and it started hurting really bad. And she's like, do you need to pull over and I'll just come get you. So that way you don't, you can just rest in the car. I was like, Oh no, I'll be, you know, I'm just going to get home. I'll be good to go rest over the uh, weekend. I'll be good to go fight week. And then all of a sudden I started getting tingling all over and like sweating hardcore. And uh, I'm telling her all this, like relaying it through the car, you know, the phone or whatever. And she's like, maybe you should pull over. And I was like, I don't know. And then all of a sudden my vision went out. So I was like, oh shit. So then I was, I was like, I can't see, I can't see. And she's like, oh my gosh, pull over. So I just swerved over to the side thinking, you know, as soon as I feel my tires kind of dip into the side of the road that I would, you know, stop and they did. And I, and I stopped and, you know, she's like, call 911. I'm like, I can't see. And so she's like, I'm going to hang up and call 911. And, uh, while I'm waiting for, you know, while I'm sitting there on the side of the road, uh, my vision comes back. And so I call 911 right away and tell them everything that I see. And I'm like, like, okay, we're going to come to you. I was like, well, I'm going to drive off the exit into an easier spot for you guys to get me. And so I did that and pulled into this like church parking lot. And, uh, yeah, so I called my wife back. The ambulance came and got me. And, you know, luckily this is where my wife saves my life because I was like, I'm not, you know, how far is the hospital? They're like, Oh, it's two minutes away. Uh, you know, or, a couple miles like oh i can i can drive there like i was like well i don't know to the ambulance ride or nothing and she's yelling at me to get in the get in the ambulance so then i do and they take me over there and uh you know i don't think the ambulance believed me uh partially because of the way i was acting i was in fight mode already like i was ready to go uh everything in my mind was just i'm there's no way i'm getting out of this you know, like not making it to this fight so uh, in the ambulance, they wanted to give me IV. I told them no, uh, that they couldn't IV me because I'm supposed to fight next week. They want to get in trouble with USADA. Um, and then, so then they just put a needle in me basically. So if they needed IV me, they could, um, if it ended up being something, but the pains kept coming and going. So it was just like, I was having episodes and, uh, you know, they didn't really believe how bad it was or anything. And I, I guess I didn't either. So, they took me to the hospital and I went to the, fr they took me all the way up to the front desk to check in. And I was like, wait a minute, I do think I need to see a doctor. And they're like, oh yeah, you know, but they're, you know, they're busy right now. We'll, uh, we'll get you checked in and then get you in as soon as possible. And I was like, oh shoot, man, I, I think something is wrong. Maybe, I don't know, hopefully not crazy, but I'm sitting in this, they take me off the gurney and put me in a wheelchair. And then all of a sudden I start having like even worse than what happened in a car. And I start like, falling out of this chair and like pretty much on the edge, I felt like death, honestly, like I was dying. And so like, all I can say was just like, help me, help me, please help me. Something's really wrong. Something's really wrong. And luckily there was a nurse right there and she's like, Hey, he doesn't look good. And they're like, rushing back, rushing back. So they rushed me back. And the doctor's like, what happened? I was like, I got kids in the stomach. At practice, I think I ruptured something. So they threw me on the table, ultrasound real quick, cut my shirt, we're going in emergency surgery, call trauma code, blah, blah, blah. So <laughs> it all happened so fast when it happened. And, uh, I was just like, Hey, you guys need to call my wife. She's on her way. She doesn't know where I'm at. 
They're like, yeah, we'll call her as soon as you get her surgery. I was like, no, 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 you need to call her now. So he called her for me, like, luckily. And then I uh, went into surgery, and I ruptured two arteries in my abdomen, or a mentum, which is a space uh, spot in my abdomen. And, uh, you know, since they didn't know exactly where, you know, what was going on or where it was ruptured, it's, they did exploratory, which is they basically just gut me, uh, open me up and go in and start exploring everywhere to see where this, you know, bleeds coming from. But I had, a, uh, I lost like four liters of blood, um, and had to have a blood transfusion. And then they were able to cycle some of my blood that was in my stomach and put it back into me. But, uh, I ended up getting uh, three liters of blood put back into me from, uh, the bank, blood bank or whatever. And then the rest of my own. So, uh, it was pretty crazy. I was, you know, the doctor said, uh, I was literally two minutes away from dying. So that goes back to when my wife saved my life, because if I would have drove, I probably would have died. Um, that's crazy, man. Not made it. Yeah, that that's, ab- that's absolutely crazy. So, you know, just out of curiosity, then is, did the doctor say that it was most likely due to the body kick? Cause like you said, you didn't feel like it was particularly hard. Was it just like, you know, perfectly placed in a way that, that did that damage or was there probably some other, you know, like previous trauma or something that had, had done the beginning of the damage? So what they said was, you know, they know this is possible. They've never seen it. And there was like a bunch of trauma doctors there. So they're like, you know, none of us have ever seen it, but it must, you know, the only thing we can think is it was that body kick and it was just the perfect placement at the perfect amount of forward pressure, uh, at the perfect timing and, and everything like at the exact perfect spot, the perfect time, perfect power. Um, and everything so they that's that's what they told me so they just said it's like a a freak like a one in a million kind of thing and you know it's crazy that you know it actually happened so. yeah and and obviously you don't hold any any grudges because you know it's it's a freak thing that happened but i, I gotta ask the training partner who kicks you how, how does he feel about all of this is he like crazy apologetic is he is he you know r- feel real bad about it all does he even know he's the one who did it yeah, yeah, so he knows. Uh he's the one. And he he was super apologetic, super nice guy. I didn't have you know any hard feelings or anything to him, you know. He was there helping me. So, it's not like he meant to do it or anything like that. He was getting me all camp, was getting me ready, helping getting me ready for uh, you know, to take on the fight and, and do my best. So, uh there's never there's no hard feelings at all and you know, he was he's you know, was upset about it and you know, most so because it's, you know, he, like he said, he's like, you know, it's money away from you, your family, you know, it's true, but, uh, it's, it's okay. You know, things happen and, you know, things happen for a reason. So, you know, we'll get through it and, uh, look at me now. I'm, I'm ready to step back in there. Absolutely. So, so let's look into a little bit now too, cause I, I want to talk to you about this training camp. Cause obviously it's got to be unique in a way that, you know, you, you were preparing for a fight and then I'm assuming had quite a bit of recovery time on, on that surgery, weren't able to jump right back into training. What what did this training camp feel like for you leading into this fight? Yeah, as far as like uh, getting back into it and everything is, you know, it's a long process. Uh, weird, honestly, um, different than like my back surgery and stuff like that with the back surgery. They kind of had like timelines for me and you know things like that with this is a lot different it was you know kind of just you know after so long okay like 
after so many weeks, I think it was like 12 weeks or something like that, I can begin trying to run and do more than just walking. And that's exactly what I said, try. It's literally like, that's what it was the whole time was trying uh, a little bit more each time. Uh, I did try too hard one time and uh, suffered an internal tear, internal tear from, um, you know, trying, you know, working too hard and everything and had to go to the doctor for that. And they said it wasn't, you know, that it would close on its own and that I just needed to rest longer. So I had some setbacks. Um, but as far as, you know, once we got going and everything, you know, me and my coach, Jeff Jimmo, he's, he's a man. And, uh, you know, we were talking with each other and, and, you know, set up a game plan and to build slowly and, and take our time with it and build into it. Um, you know, I wanted to get back right away. I was in, you know, great shape, uh, going about to go into that fight. And I think honestly that helped me survive as well. And, uh, you know, it's just, we just built slowly in, in camp, you know, and as, as soon as we got more and more into it and we were testing more and more and, you know, and then we started taking shots to the body and then kind of building on light shots to the body and building on that. We didn't know if I was going to be able to return fighting. I didn't know. Um, the doctors recommended I didn't fight anymore. One doctor said I could, but that was it out of the, I don't know how many other doctors I talked to, but they just didn't recommend it because they said they didn't know uh, what the outcome could be as far as like, if I could even do it, if I could take a body shot, would my body shut down? Would I have bleeding again? What, you know, all these things that they just couldn't recommend me fighting again. Uh, and, you know, and I said, well, is it that I can't, or is it that, you know, you know, there's just a chance of me getting injured again. And they said, well, you know, there's just a chance of you getting injured or it, you know, you not being able to do it. And I said, okay, well, if I'm not, I I have to try. And if I'm not able to do it, I'm okay with that. I'll, I'll put the gloves up and I'll be done. Um, but I have to try. I, I can't not try because then I'd think about that the rest of my life. Well, what if I, you know, could have done it. So yeah, just built slowly with my team. And, uh, you know, as we got finally, you know, got through all the tests and everything, I had asked for a fight, was ready to go, got set up and then, uh, you know, really started into camp and started building from there and things just got, uh, you know, even better. And we started changing some things up as far as camp goes to, uh, just amp things up for me and, and different conditioning stuff and building my core, a lot of stuff to build the core and, and strengthen that area even more. And, uh, man, I'm feeling better than ever. It's been a fantastic camp and, uh, everything has gone great. And I feel even better than I felt going in, you know, about to go into the Daniel Rodriguez fight. I felt way better than that. That's the best I've ever felt. Well, well, that's certainly great to hear and, and awesome that the recovery went so well. Let's talk a little bit about the fight itself, too, because you're fighting Jason Witt, a guy who's only one and two in the UFC. He's a little bit newer than most of the guys you typically fight. You know, you, you fought guys like Vicente Luque and Leon Edwards and Colby Covington and, you know, even guys like Sage Northcutt and Jake Ellenberger, you know, like big names in the sport. This guy's one and two in the UFC. He's a little fresher of a face. Uh, was that sort of by design in coming back from this injury that you, you wanted a, a little bit more of an up-and-comer or... You know, were you just kind of happy to be back in the cage regardless of who the opponent was? You know, I, I have no say in uh, who I'm fighting, you know. 
uh, I don't ask for anybody really. Um, there is times like after a fight, possibly I'll ask for somebody who I'm interested in, whatever like that. Short notice fights come up or guys fall out or whatever, stuff like that. Uh, but I don't, you know, say, Hey, you know, uh, if they send me a name, if I ask for a fight and they send me a name, I don't care who it is. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to fight them. So whether it been, you know, him or a guy in the top you know, 15 or whatever, uh, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm making the same amount of money to fight him or someone else. So it doesn't really matter. He brings his own things. Like everybody is good in the UFC. He may not have the name yet, but he's here. So he's doing, he did something right. He got here and he's tough and, you know, he has wins. He's a well-rounded guy, and I expect him to bring his best and uh, try to test me. And I'm definitely going to put him to the test. And um, I hope he's ready. And like I said, I just I'm I'm ready to fight anybody. I'm happy and to be able to still do this and honored. Um, but it wouldn't matter if this never happened. If he his name came across the table, that's the fight I'd be taking. Absolutely. So that leads me to my last question. So this is the fight you were going to take all along. How do you see this one going down on uh, July 31st? What's your prediction for this one? Uh, you know, I know I get my hand raised. That's I can I can say that I get my hand raised. And uh, if if you've watched me, you know I like to go for the finish. So you can expect that the whole entire time uh, the fight's going on. I believe I personally believe I'm going to get uh, a finish, KO, TKO. Um, you know, I might even surprise you with a submission, but you know, I'm I'm gonna get this win, and uh, I'm gonna show everybody that I'm I'm still here, and I'm gonna continue on my way. Well, we're certainly looking forward to it. Once again, fans, this was Brian Barbarano who fights Jason Witt at UFC in the Apex on July 31st. Brian, thank you so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Brian Bam Bam Barbarena. I, once again, am Daniel Gumby Greenland, joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, let's start right here. TJ Dillashaw, Corey Sanhagen this past weekend. Some people saw quite a bit of controversy in the scoring, and not just that fight, but, but a lot of fights on that card. Let, let's start here. How did you score the main event? Uh, that's a great question, Gumby. And the answer is I didn't score the main event. Uh, I was watching it. I was in awe of both performances. I think both guys are at the top of their game. I mean, maybe you could say TJ's sort of past peak, but I think Sanhagen is peaking as we speaking. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I was just amazed by the two performances. And to the naked eye, I wasn't sitting there marking off you know, how many strikes landed versus not. And I get that TJ probably had the worst looking damage, but I think damage, we've had this talk a million times. Sometimes it's tough to necessarily register because damage looks awful on a Diaz brother, whereas it might not look awful on someone else. Or, you know what I mean? Just because someone has scar tissue and their eye splits open, that doesn't necessarily mean the punch was that much harder than you get where I'm going. Point being, I thought TJ controlled the fight. I thought he won the grappling exchanges on the feet. And even as a jiu-jitsu man myself, I'm not going to give a ton of credit to Sanhagen throwing up, you know, wild submissions from his back, even if they look like they might come close for a second. The I think all three judges, if I'm not mistaken, scored the first three rounds the exact same. Mm -hmm. And then it was the last two where you got a little bit of difference. 
I, I don't really care. I think it was a razor close fight that could have gone either way. And to my naked eye, long story short, I thought TJ had more control of Sanhagen in the cage. What did you think? Yeah, so I, I guess it, it just comes down to whether or not you think that control was like effective grappling, right? Because control doesn't actually get scored until, you know, like, you know, like cage control doesn't. But like, if you say holding him against the cage and landing like the knees he landed is, is effective grappling, you're right. He might have won that. I, in real time, scored it four, and I haven't gone back and watched, but I scored four and five for Sanhagen. I thought he won two, four, and five, and I'd given him the decision. But, like, as they were about to read it, I was like, it, it could easily, four and five could have easily both gone to TJ Dillashaw, too. It could have been a four to one, in my opinion. And, and that's the way the judges saw it, right? Like, one judge gave four and five to Sanhagen, one gave four to Sanhagen, and one gave five to Sanhagen. So... You know, like they were pretty much right in line with me. That those last two rounds are a coin flip, and unless you know both of those coins come up heads for Sanhagen, he doesn't win that one. I will say this too, though. I I thought it did good, like in raising the stock of both fighters. I, I don't feel like Corey Sanhagen takes a huge step back for losing this one. Do you? No, I was just gonna say the same thing, and that's why. Yeah, I think you know it would be worth. And now I'm kind of intrigued to go back and just watch four and five. Um, and I do want to just mention that to me, it was effective grappling. It, and I can't necessarily remember that this was in four and five, but when TJ is taking someone down and then the, the fight is being contested for, you know, 30 seconds, maybe even a minute of Sanhagen off his back, that is effective grappling to me. So that's why I give TJ a lot of credit more for the takedowns than anything else. Going back to what you just said, no, Sanhagen doesn't take a hit. And I'm going to give a little spoiler here. The UFC has put a lot of marketing time and money into TJ Dillashaw. Um, even with the EPO popping and everything else, he's a name. He's a former champion. Sanhagen, the performance, the controversy, it keeps his name at the top of people's mind. He still has the highlight reel flying Nikkei over Frankie Edgar that they could play at any time to hype him up for a title fight. He's right there. I don't get the sense that the UFC loves Aljamain Sterling or Piotr Jan as a long-term champion. I think they'd be more happy with a TJ or a Sanhagen. So I, I think either, you know, TJ probably gets the next title shot, perhaps. Sanhagen's right there in the wings. It's fine. It's all going to work out for all of them. Yeah, although I will say, while, while we're saying TJ is probably next for a title shot, I did see recently on his Instagram that uh I don't know did you see the leg lock attempt from Corey Sanhagen that ended the first round I did and he hipped into it and I actually said live oh shit that actually might have popped a ligament and it did it looked it did and he, it did yeah TJ just said he he may need either minor surgery or some sort of recovery time so that could mean he's out for a while but then again that could play in well to the Aljamain Sterling Piotrian uh timeline too because right like that fight's happening in October. You assume the winner's going to need some recovery time. That, that'll probably play well into TJ's timeline. Or, you know, like there, there's also the possibility that Jan wins, like, a controversial fight, right? Like, if it goes to split and it's close and they just try to run back Jan versus Aljo 3, uh, you know, like, maybe even that would give TJ more time to recover. So, yeah, I think you're right. I wouldn't mind seeing TJ fight somebody else in the interim, but now that I know that his knee is a little jacked up, uh, yeah, it, it seems like most likely he will probably be next for the title shot and Sanhagen will be in line for Rob Font or Jose Aldo or, or somebody like that. And, you know, probably headline another fight night card. 
Not mad at it. Well, I'll tell you what's next in line for us, and that's our favorite segment on the show, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. I am so excited about this because it's brought to you by my favorite place to get odds and gamble on these fights. Spoiler alert. Well, not yet. Let's just say it. Gumby, who sponsors this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays? Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by my bookie. In the world of sports, the offseason is a time to relax and regroup after a hard-fought season, but playing with my bookie gives you the choice on whether to de- whether to decide when your season begins and ends at mybookie.ag you can bet on hundreds of games and leagues from around the world whether it's a game day parlay or a long shot winner mybookie's got you covered use pregame props or bet the game live to shift the odds in your favor and always come out on top and not only does mybookie host exclusive betting contests that you can't find with any other book but the bonuses are insane. And speaking of bonuses, if you sign up with mybookie.ag today and use our promo code TOPTURTLE, you'll receive up to $1,000 in bonus money when you make your first deposit. That's 1000 bucks in extra cash when you make your first deposit with mybookie using the promo code TOPTURTLE. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with mybookie. Love my bookie, love my bookie, love my bookie. Uh, let's talk about the main event. It's Sean Strickland, a minus 210 favorite against Uriah Hall, plus 170. What's that you say? Sean Strickland is main eventing a fight night, and he's a minus 210 favorite? Yeah, that's right. After losing two out of three, he lost to Kamaru Usman, then beat Court McGee, and then lost to Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos. He is on a four-fight win streak, so this is going back to mid-2018. He beat Nordin Talib via TKO and then decided to return to middleweight, and he's won three in a row at middleweight, and it looks like his weight, the right weight class for him. Beat Jack Marshman, beat Brandon Allen via TKO, beat Christoph Jocko back in May of this year, and now he's headlining a fight night against Uriah Hall, the once-vaunted prospect. The next Anderson Silva, Dana White has called him, has had a very up-and-down career in the UFC. Win two, lose one. Win two, lose one. Win two, lose three. Win one, lose one. But then all of a sudden, back in December of 2018, he started a four-fight win streak that continues to this date. Beat Bevan Lewis. Beat Antonio Carlos Jr. Some may call him Shoeface. And then beat Anderson Silva, the legend, the man he was once compared to, the former champion via TKO. And then we last saw him in April of this year beating TKO via horrific leg injury. Very odd how he faced Anderson Silva, who succumbed to a bad leg injury against Weidman. Then he faced Weidman. Weidman succumbs to the nasty leg injury against him. Check kicks, leg kicks, uh, shin kicks, I should say, are all the rage. And it's definitely leading to a epidemic in nasty breaks but that being said Uriah Hall here the plus 170 always a live dog is Hall who you got I think I'm gonna take Uriah Hall um you know obviously that run is a very weird run right like he fights a a kind of dated Anderson Silva you can't even really count the Chris Weidman fight before that was a split decision when Antonio Carlos Jr. is not even in the UFC anymore it's a really weird run, but one thing I will say about him is that since he's gone to Fortis MMA, his takedown defense has looked much, much better. Um, you know, like he stuffed over half of the takedown attempts of Antonio Carlos Jr., and when he didn't stuff him, he got back up very quickly. So for me, the fact of the matter is, is that like now it doesn't seem so much like if somebody wants to take him down, they just did it. Um, instead, it looks a lot like he can force people to strike with him. Now, Sean Strickland likes to strike with people, but he also likes to mix it up once in a while. He, he does like to throw the takedown in there a little bit. 
I just don't know that Sean Strickland striking makes me feel more comfortable than Uriah Hall's at any point in time. You know, like, I, and I know that, you know, Strickland seems improved and Strickland's a big guy for, for 185. I know he's coming up from 170, but he is really a, a big 180 guy. Um, and I think that that could possibly play into it in size, but I mean, outstriking Brendan Allen doesn't really do much for me mentally, uh, when I'm comparing him to Uriah Hall, you know, like I, I think Uriah Hall, you know, is, has done a lot better against certain fighters and seems to have more finishing ability too than Sean Strickland, who, you know, like didn't get Jack Marshman out there, despite the fact he hit him like a billion times and was taunting him. Uh, didn't get Christoph Jaco out of there. And, you know, that's somebody who Uriah Hall has knocked out. So, yeah, I, I think I like Uriah Hall in this one. And, and it, I think it's kind of crazy that the odds are as wide as they are. Yeah, I'm a little surprised at the odds as well. And I don't hate the pick of Uriah Hall as a dog. Like I said, he's always a live dog. Uh, I like his odds better than I like Sean Strickland's odds. But if there were no odds and I was just picking straight up, yeah, I maybe lean Strickland, you know, just having lived through the career of Uriah Hall and never necessarily counting on him. You know, it, it, it's been a lot of one and one for him. But that being said, I like his odds better than I like Strickland's for what that's worth. You, of course, can get those odds on my bookie, my bookie. We love my bookie. All right, let's get to Brian Barberina. Hey, we know him. He's a minus 265 favorite, a very strong favorite to Jason Witt, who's a plus 205 dog. Jason Witt coming off a loss to Matthew Semmelsberger, beat Cole Williams before that, lost to Takashi Saito before that. So one and two in his last three. All three of those fights were finishes. He got an arm triangle choke for his win over Cole Williams, lost via KO and TKO, to the afore, and the aforementioned losses. Brian Barberena, on the other hand, is on a one-fight win streak, if you call one fight a win streak, but looking to make it two in a row. He's coming off a unanimous decision win over Anthony Ivey, lost to Randy Brown via TKO before that, lost to Vicente Luke before that. So both fighters, one and two in their last three. If you want to peel it back further, Barberena, TKO victory over Jake Ellenberger, Unanimous decision loss to Leon Edwards and a TKO over Joe Proctor and a loss to Colby fucking Covington. So he's lost to Colby Covington, Leon Edwards, Vicente Luke, and Randy Brown, just going back to the last four or five years, um, which, you know, is is rather top flight uh, competition. That all being said, massive favorite here. I assume you're going with him. So let's hear a path to victory for Jason Witt if that is the case. So I think Jason Witt is going to probably try to rely on something that he, he's relied on for a bunch of his career. And that's like uh, either like stout wrestling where he just gets in on a double and, and tries to arm triangle you or uh, like a big overhand right or a big overhand left. He likes to throw big looping punches. And the, the problem with beating somebody like Brian Barberena like that is that first of all, Barberena's jujitsu is really damn good. I think people sleep on how good his jujitsu has been in his career. Like, remember, he's the guy who arm triangled Sage Northcutt, right? When we all thought Sage Northcutt was like a super prospect, he got in half guard and tapped out Sage Northcutt. Like, he's defended grappling against guys like Colby Covington, who took him down a hundred times, against Leon Edwards, who took him down. And I just don't think Jason Witt is better than him on the ground. You know what I mean? So then it becomes, can Jason Witt knock him out with a big punch? And look, Vicente Luque landed 162 punches before he finally landed one that got Brian Barberena out. And let me tell you something. Vicente Luque also hits a hell of a lot harder than Jason Witt. 
while he's got some some TKO losses, it takes a lot of punishment to get Brian Barberena out of there. I, I just see those two avenues that that Jason Witt is going to need as being so slim that even the odds at like negative two sixty five look real good for Brian Barberena. Agreed. I don't think any of their analysis is warranted there. Uh, Kyung Hyo Kang is a minus one forty favorite to Honey Yaha, uh, plus one ten dog. Uh, Kim Young Kang, don't blink. He's been in the UFC for eight years now, uh, and, you know, just hasn't had, uh, I guess, the amount of fights you would expect, probably because of military service, I assume. In yeah. 2014, he yep. took four years off. So before the military service, as we've seen with other uh, Korean fighters, he was, he was two, one, and one no contest, originally a split decision win for Alex Caceres, overturned to marijuana. Since coming back from the military service, he's 3-1. and one. He came back and lost a split decision loss to Ricardo Lamas, then goes on a three-fight win streak, wins over Truti Ishihara via rear naked choke, a split decision win over Brandon Davis, and a split decision win over Young, I'm going to butcher that name, <laughs> Liu Pingyan. Uh, but here he is now a favorite to a pretty big prospect, someone that I think Joe Rogan just loves saying his name and honey, ah, um, who's had a bit of a bumpy road here, um, after debuting in the UFC all the way back as well in actually he predates him by two years. He debuted in 2011. Um, and over the course of the last, let's say four years is, Eight, two, and one draw. So let's just go back to 2018. Beat Russell Doan, beat Luke Sanders via heel hook, lost to Ricky Simon, unanimous decision, uh, had a majority draw with Enrique Barzola, and is now coming off an arm triangle choke victory over Ray Rodriguez back in March of this year. But he finds himself the dog here. I'm rather excited for this fight. Who are you taking? I like Haniaya in this fight, even as a dog. Um, you know, it's weird for me to go with two dogs this high up on the card. But the the thing about Kyung Ho Kang is, if you look at most of his fights, his the way he likes to win is by engaging in the grappling with people, and that just seems like a freaking nightmare when it's Haniaya standing across from you, right? Like, yeah, he he did out grapple Taruta Ishihara, who is notably just like a big one punch knockout guy. He did out grapple Brandon Davis, who again is a boxer. He did out grapple Ping Yuan Yu, and like again, like maybe not a boxer with Lou, but like also maybe not the best striker um, in, in any aspect. So like, I mean, I, I think Kang might wind up trying to keep this on the feet, but I think if he goes to the ground, man, I don't like hardly anybody on the ground against Yahani Yaya. So yeah, I'm gonna take Yaya in this fight. Yeah, I don't think it's an awful pick, um, and he certainly has the grappling edge. We'll move then to our dog of the week. Now, you've pointed out some nice plays of dog forced to take them, but your absolute dog of the week is Trevin Jones. Let's hear it. So first of all, I think Trevin Jones is probably one of the more underrated guys in the UFC. He debuted and fought Timor Valiev, who people are very high on Timor Valiev. Uh, and and since, since that loss to uh, Trevin Jones, Timor Valiev is 2-0. And basically what he did was he took an absolute beating for one round, came back, and just starched uh, Timor Valiev in the second. So 
he, he's got incredible power. He's got incredible durability. And then he beat Mario Batista, who's also an absolute animal. His only other Mario Batista's only other loss is Corey Sanhagen. So like yeah, a very impressive uh, opponent. Meanwhile, I, I do like Ronnie Lawrence. I think he grapples pretty well. He's got good takedowns, but like he wasn't able to get Jose Johnson out of there. Who's like kind of an awful grappler. He just kind of laid on him for a while in contender series and got the decision. Um, he's lost to Steve Garcia in the past. Who's kind of a big boxer and kind of, I think Trevin Jones can mimic enough of that. So yeah, I, I just think Trevin Jones here is going to mimic enough of that, that game plan on the feet, uh, stuff enough of the wrestling. And, and I think ultimately probably win, uh, with a TKO. Boom. Our parlay to play this week is Danny Chavez, a minus 110 favorite, and uh, Melsic Bogdasarian, a minus 140 favorite. Pair them together, you get plus 220 odds. Well, first of all, I would just like to commend you for saying both Danny Chavez and Melsic Bogdasarian's name right. Uh, not that Danny Chavez was hard, but Melsic certainly is. Uh, Chavez, I like in this fight against Kai Kamaka. It's basically a pick em. I like Danny Chavez just because of how he looked in his debut with his leg kicks and stuff like that. Kai Kamaka takes a bunch of damage, but the problem is, is he actually takes that damage. He's pretty hittable, and I think that's going to be really good for Danny Chavez, as long as Danny Chavez doesn't tire himself out like he did last time. So, yeah, I'm going with Chavez in this one. And I like Melsic Bakhtasarian against Kaun Engen, uh because he's a really good kickboxer, and he showed in his contender series fight he can stop the takedown. Anglin, uh is a good wrestler. I really like his wrestling. I think his striking is coming along. I just worry about him against somebody who's such a talented kickboxer. So you pair those two very good kickers together and you're going to get plus 220 on the return. Boom. We sure hope you like what we're doing here in Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. If you're using our picks and it's finding you success, hey, let us know about it. If we're doing you dirty, we want to hear that, too. We're accepting both love and hate feedback. We'll, of course, be tweeting during the show at Top Turtle MMA. We love to live tweet, get a little fan interaction, as they say. And, of course, if you go over to iTunes and if you think we deserve it, write us a good review. It helps keep the lights on in the Top Turtle podcast studio. Gumby, this train is a moving down the tracks. Where should we go next? Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with Colin Anglin, and he talks about his upcoming fight with Melsic Bogdazarian, a one fight that I am absolutely stoked for. But of course, before we get to that, I got to remind you guys that this interview is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jujitsu, or any other martial art, you can log your training sessions, weigh-ins, competitions, tag your training partners, and so much more all right in the palm of your hand without a sweaty jujitsu journal. So make sure to download the Maroon Social app wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Colin Anglin. All right, and joining me now is Colin Anglin, who fights Melsic Bogsadarian at UFC in the Apex on July 31st. So, Colin, before we get into talking about that fight, I, I wanted to start by talking about this layoff. Because obviously, you know, you got your Contender Series contract back in September there's a fight fall off in between then. And you know, you're like, you're a guy who's pretty active. You've, you've had nine pro fights squeezed into three years and now almost a full year layoff. What, what is this like 11 months been like for you waiting to make your debut? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's been, uh, honestly, it's been good. I haven't been like, um, uh, I don't know. I wasn't like irritated with it. You know, I, there was times where 
I was kind of like, all right, I really want to fight, you know, let's get it, let's get it going. I've been ready for, um, quite some time now. And, uh, I've been just staying ready thinking I'm going to get a call like on short notice. Um, but, uh, you know, it's actually been good. I, I've just, uh, you know, taking this time to, uh, improve my game, improve myself and, uh, yeah, be a better fighter. Well, I was going to ask you that, too. You said you've been ready most of the time. I know, obviously, you had to pull out of that Sung Woo Choi fight. Have you been mostly ready since then? Was it like a quick recovery? Was it a quick, you know, sort of snafu in, in that uh, fight? And, and you've just been back to being ready since then? Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, about uh, two weeks after that, or about two weeks after that, three weeks after that, I was ready to go, so... Um, yeah, it was just a, a quick little, uh, like you said, snafu that um, that sidelined me for for a couple weeks. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've been ready to go since then. Well, that certainly sounds frustrating. But like you said, you you spent this time improving some aspects of your game and making things better. Was there something in particular that you felt like you needed to improve a lot on, or maybe even that you just got sort of unexpectedly out of this time off? Uh. Honestly, everything, you know, I, I'm, um, you know, I'm taking a, a big step, uh, in my game, uh, and in my career going, uh, you know, I'm fighting for the UFC. So, uh, you really have to, um, improve all aspects of your game and, and work on everything. And so, uh, that's what I did. I took, yeah, you know, I took the time to, um, to really just work on my overall, game my my stand-up game my ground game um really yeah just everything uh it's been so long (laughs) it's been so long since i was in there i feel like i'm a different fighter now you know that certainly makes a lot of sense now uh, before we get to talking about bogdasarian i do want to talk a little bit about your win over nemoff uh like you know he's a guy who was kind of known for his wrestling they thought he was going to come in there and wrestle you and obviously you've got a good wrestling background in your own right, it, but your takedowns were the ones on point. You, you're getting them on the feet, but you also, you know, did a hell of a job not only taking him down, but taking his back. Was that something that you thought about going into that fight, knowing that he's a wrestler kind of type that you wanted to, you know, you know, assert your dominance as a wrestler? No, not really. Um, you know, I, I wasn't really too worried about his wrestling. I watched his fights before. And obviously he's a great fighter and, um, you know, he's got a good future ahead of him, but, uh, I knew I was better, uh, than him, you know, in the wrestling aspect. And, um, I just wasn't, I didn't go in thinking, uh, I need to, uh, I need to prove anything, you know, as far as wrestling goes. Um, I'm a good wrestler and, uh, you know, I, I'm down to strike and, and, and brawl and, you know, <laughs> get dirty, everything. Um, and wrestling just kind of, my wrestling just kind of comes in uh, when it does. You know, I, it's not like um, before that fight, I, I felt like I needed to uh, to wrestle him or anything. It's just, you know, I'm good at it, so I use it. <laughs> well, you are really good at it. Now, I know some of that comes from the fact that you've you've been wrestling since basically you could walk, as far as I can tell. Um, is it is it seem like one of those things that like you've not that you've gotten away away from it, but you've also you know developed enough of your other games that do do you see yourself moving away from wrestling more often? 
not at all. So the thing with wrestling, um, the reason, you know, I think it's one of the most uh, dominant aspects of, like, MMA is because uh, as a wrestler, as a good wrestler, uh, you can you dictate where the fight goes. Um, so, like, you know, if I feel like I'm, I'm beating him on the feet, I can decide, okay, I want to keep it on the feet. If, um, and he's not taking me down, you know, so... Um, I can choose to, to keep it on the feet or if I feel like, okay, you know, I should probably get a takedown here to secure the round or, or if I'm getting beat on the feet, I, I can do that. I can take him down and, and take it to the ground and, uh, and, and win that way. So, um, yeah, I, I don't feel like I've gotten away from it, but I felt, I feel, uh, I feel like I've just gotten, I've taken the time to get comfortable, um, in the other parts of, uh, of MMA, you know, um, for a long time, I was like, so, you know, when I first started, I, all I did was wrestle people. So I didn't, you know, I, I had no, uh, I didn't really want to stand up and strike. I, I did, but I, I was kind of, uh, a little fearful of it, you know, because I wasn't that good at it. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I just have kind of taken time to, to uh, become comfortable on my feet and, and everywhere else. Well, and, and that style, too, is a style that I feel like, you know, like more people used to have, you know, 10 to 15 years ago, maybe when you were a kid, maybe did you watch the UFC as a kid? Like that was that was the defiant style at the time, using wrestling, but using wrestling to keep it where you're most comfortable or if you're winning striking. Do you take inspiration from fighters from like when you were a kid? Um. I might, I don't know. Uh, you know, it, uh, it may have rubbed off on me and I just don't even know it, but, uh, yeah, I watched, uh, I watched UFC pride. I watched all that growing up. And, um, so I watched all those, uh, trailblazers, um, get in there and do exactly that. So yeah, like I said, I'm not really sure. Maybe, maybe it rubbed off on me and, uh, and I just don't really, I just don't really know it, you know? (laughs) Well, maybe it did. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the fight with Bogdasarian because this is going to be a very different fight than your fight on the Contender Series 11 months ago. You know, he, there's no secret about what he likes to do. He likes to go in there and throw some pretty wild kicks. He likes to throw some pretty wild punches. He likes to try to turn it into a kickboxing match. What, What are sort of your thoughts on when you first saw this guy as a possible opponent in the style that he brings? Yeah, I love the matchup. Uh, I mean, my coaches and uh, team love the matchup as well. Uh, when I was presented with it, um, you know, my coach and my manager, they called me and kind of just filled me in and, and let me know what was, what, was on the, uh, what was on the table. And I immediately just, you know, listen to them and take their advice. Um, if it's something they both love, I'm doing it, you know, because they, the they have my best interest. Uh, you know, at heart. So, um, so I mean, I, I accepted it uh, just on their uh, word alone. And then um, after watching him, I, I just felt even more confident and uh, more ready. And, and I really, yeah, I really love the matchup. And now obviously I don't want you to give away too much of your game plan here because, you know, we, we don't like to, to say that right during fight week and to give it all away. But is there something particularly you loved about the matchup? Because you said a couple of times that you loved it right away. 
and he, like I said, he, he's a different style than a lot of the people you fought. Is, is there a particular thing that you did like about the matchup? For sure. Um, well, you know, I like a fight. I like a war. And I, I feel like he will bring one. Um, so that's uh, that's something I like right off the bat. Uh, another thing, you know, I, I feel like, um, you know, yeah, he is a striker. He, he's a kickboxer. But I still just don't see him beating me there. I feel like I'm better than him. On the feet, on the ground, uh, my wrestling's better than his. I, I just don't see where he beats me. Um, and so, like, right there, I mean, yeah, I love that. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, so like I said, I just don't really see a uh, an avenue he takes to beat me. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Now, you said you feel better than I'm on the feet. You feel better than I'm on the ground. Usually, before I end these things, I like to ask my fighters for a prediction. How do you see this one going on July 31st? Um, I see, I mean, I don't really, yeah, I'm not really a big prediction guy, but I just, I do see myself uh, finishing him. Uh, I don't see it going to decision. Um, I mean, I could see myself knocking him out or, or, or submitting him. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Colin Anglin, who fights Melsic Boxadarian at UFC in the Apex on July 31st. Colin, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate your time. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in once again each and every week because we couldn't do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social, Better Than Vegas, and MyBookie.ag. Make sure to use promo code TOPTURTLE. And make sure to also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TopTurtleMMA. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby-Freeman. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we'll catch you then.